Well, um, there are, believe it or not, uh, still people today who go out of their way to help strangers. And they're still affectionately known as Good Samaritans. And I have a couple of examples I want to give you. There are many, many, but here's just a couple I want to give you. In August of 2007, Mark Patterson was camping with his wife and daughter near Clinton, British Columbia, up here, when a 12-year-old boy was attacked by a wild cougar. Patterson heard the screaming and ran to see the, that the boy had rolled himself up into a ball trying to protect his head, and the cougar already had the boy's head in his mouth. And so Patterson charged the, uh, the cougar and started kicking the cougar. And he landed five good kicks on the cougar, which didn't seem to bother the cougar at all. And so uh, Patterson jumped on it and dug his knees into the back of the cougar and put the cougar in a, a, a chokehold, uh, cutting off his windpipe. And finally, the cougar released its grip. And uh, Patterson picked up the boy and backed away carefully, put the boy in the truck and took off, uh, took him to a nearby hospital. Uh, and he had to have um, surgical treatment for injuries to his face and neck and torso. And the conservation officers later found and killed the cougar. It was only 15 meters away from the attack site. And they, they figured that the cougar got confused because there was a lot of small game in that area that the cougar would normally eat and must have mistaken the small boy for game. But there's a guy there, Mark Patterson, and he's a total stranger to this boy. And right away, he jumped into harm's way to protect and to rescue the little boy. There's an example of a good Samaritan, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Uh, in October of 2010, the weather in Fresno, California was kind of bad, and so a 29-year-old grape picker named Victor Perez decided he'd stay at home. Well, while he was at home, he had the radio on, he was standing outside, and he heard a local radio alert that a young girl had been abducted, kidnapped. And he was standing there and he saw a passing truck that matched the description of the kidnapper's vehicle. And so fearing the worst, Perez got in his own car and gave chase. And though he could not see the child, he still chased. When he finally caught up, he was able to see the girl and he started screaming at the driver, the kidnapper, that's not your little girl, that's not your little girl. And finally, the kidnapper slowed and pushed the girl out of the car and took off. And um, Victor Perez, he pulled over and jumped out of his car and he stayed with the little girl until the police arrived and reunited the little girl with her mother. The California Highway Patrol later arrested Giorgio Gonzalez and charged him with kidnapping. And so there's another example, Victor Perez, the grape picker, as a good Samaritan. I'll give you one more. On April the 7th, 2010, a 29-year-old engineer from France, his name was Julian Durette, he was visiting New York, and he was walking with his girlfriend near the seaport when he saw something fall into the water. At first he thought it was a doll, but then he realized it was a two-year-old girl. And with, without a second thought, in an instant, he pulled off his coat and he dove into the water 15 feet down to grab the girl and come up. And this was filthy, freezing uh, East River water. 
And so he got up, he surfaced, and he was able to hand the little girl off to uh, her father. Her father was in the water also. And then the father was able to get the child out of the water to safety. So he gets back up on the pier, and Durrett said that he was glad to help, and he, he went his way. And only later did he realize that what he had done had captured the hearts of the New Yorkers. And they were desperate to find this mystery man, this Frenchman. And once they found him, this humble engineer finally relented to an interview on TV. And he said that he'd never done anything like that before. But that's an example, another example of what we would call a good Samaritan. Now, all these people can rightfully be called good Samaritans, and there's many, many more examples of them. But there are also other good Samaritans who, who don't jump off piers into filthy, freezing water. They don't attack cougars to rescue 12-year-old boys, and yet they also are good Samaritans. They do their, their good works in another way, and Paul writes about that sort of thing here in Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking here at verses 19 to 23. And the good Samaritan that I want to introduce you to here is Timothy. Ta-da! Timothy is spoken of here. And uh, Timothy is the good Samaritan, um, if you will, in this story here. And so I've got three main points I want to share with you on these verses. Um, we're going to look at Timothy as the Good Samaritan. We're going to start by saying a Good Samaritan has a servant's heart. Now, uh, keep your seats there, but I'd like you to read with me verses 19, 20, 21. Verses 19, 20, 21. Let's read it out together. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. And so we begin by saying that a good Samaritan has a servant's heart. And I think that the examples that I gave you here uh, of good Samaritans would suggest that, that they would have a servant's heart. A, servant's, uh, a, man, a man or woman with a servant's heart is the type that would, without thinking, do the right thing because that's their heart. They don't have to stop and think about it or maybe get in their car and 10 miles down the road say, oh, you know what? I should have jumped in the water and rescued that little child. A, a servant's heart, someone has a servant's heart right away. Something that needs to be done, boom, they're right there. And I think this is a good point to begin with. Paul had led Timothy to Christ and he trusted Timothy and uh, wanted to send him to Philippi to see how things were going so that he could come back and bring a report. And uh, this is what uh, Paul was trusting Timothy with. And this was no small job. This was a very important job. Not all Christians can be trusted with important jobs. Isn't that the truth? Well, what was it that made Paul trust Timothy? Look at verse 20. He says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Timothy was like-minded. He had a similar mind to that of Paul. They shared something in common here. Sometimes it happens where people get saved and 
at first they seem interested and then, you know, their mind or their heart changes and they drift off or something. But that wasn't the case with Timothy. When Paul led Timothy to the Lord, Timothy really, there's something inside him just came alive. And wherever Paul went, Timothy wanted to be right there. And he very quickly started to see life through the eyes of Paul. And he would ask him questions, I'm sure, and Paul would take him to one side and explain things, the ways of the Lord. But it wasn't long. It didn't take that many years for uh, Timothy to start thinking like Paul. And Paul was thinking like Jesus. Uh, at one point in one of his letters, Paul wrote, be followers of me, even as I am of the Lord Jesus. And that idea is kind of get in the train. And by the way, that's a good idea. There's Jesus out front leading the way. And then after him was the Apostle Paul. And then after him, following Paul, was the, uh, the, uh, the Christians in, in uh, Asia Minor. And that's the way it's supposed to go. Paul died, he went off the scene, someone else took his place. That, that person died, went off the scene, someone else took, took their place. And it's the same principle today. Uh, I do my, my very best to live my life for the Lord Jesus. And because of that, I have no problem saying, follow me as I'm trying to follow Christ. Does that mean I'm perfect? No, no one's perfect. But the idea is we're going in the right direction. We got our eyes ultimately on the master. And Timothy had his eyes on Jesus, but he knew he was going to follow Paul. And so he had a like mind with Paul. And that's why Paul wrote this in verse 20. I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. So Timothy had a similar mind to that of Paul. And um, this is the idea. We're talking about the servants, uh, good Samaritans having a servant's heart. And servants have a natural tendency to care for people. They make the best servants. When you don't have to keep running after your servants and say, hey, listen, you forgot to do this and you forgot to vacuum this and you forgot to prepare this. Oh, I'm sorry, I'll try and remember next time. But next time they forget too and you're running after your servant again. Reminding them, now you forgot this and you needed to do this. And by the way, do this a little bit better next time. It was only half done. But the, the good Samaritans that have servants' hearts, they have this natural tendency to care for people. Well, it brings us to verse 21. And he says, for all seek their own. And now the all that he is referring to here is more of a general principle. Because there were other men and women also that Paul knew and in his life that were good people. And so this doesn't mean that just Paul and Timothy were the only good ones in the whole world. That's not what he's saying. But as a general principle, that's very true. And it's been true all these many years. It's very true today. People look out for numero uno. They put themselves first, their interests first. Unfortunately, we carry this baggage into the Christian life. And sometimes what we do is say, well, listen, I'm going to get looked after first. And then if I have some time left, I'll serve the Lord. If I have some money left, then I'll take part in giving. If I have some abilities, then I'll maybe I'll help out with a little bit. But I've got to look after numero uno first. And that's a mistake, a big mistake biblically. And so again, he he stresses this principle in the light of what he just said about his his um, companion Timothy. He says, "For all seek their own 
not the things which are Jesus Christ's. And so every man for himself, uh, as it's true today, it was true back then as well. So many people have that natural inborn tendency to look after themselves. And um, of course, there are many in the service of the Lord today. I'm talking in full-time service even who care more for their own reputation than for Christ's. We've got, unfortunately, men in um, prominent positions who are uh, more interested in their own reputation, their own glory, their own agenda than in the Lord Jesus. They spend little time with the Lord in prayer and the time they do spend would be more or less superficial. They may know a lot of Bible verses, but it doesn't mean that they know a lot of God's will. It's sad. Um, there are others, of course, that are not in full-time position that are emulating the very same problem. Um, many Christians in many churches, again, their first and primary concern is for themselves, themselves and their families. And then after that comes Christ's interests. Isn't that a difficult verse to look at sometimes? For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. Interesting. These uh, men in pulpits that seek their own honor and their own fame and their own glory, they're also, they tend to be very touchy. And if you don't see eye to eye with them, they'll belittle you and run you out of town and say nasty things about you. And that, that sort of thing is happening on the internet. Some of these men, they have a uh, high profile on the internet. And people that don't just see exactly the way they see, there's no room for them. Well, I'll have you know that none of us see exactly 100% the same. Even people that have been married for a number of years still have differences one from the other. Actually, I think it would be a pretty boring world if everyone's fingerprints were exactly the same. If all of the snowflakes were exactly the same if every flower and blade of grass was exactly the same, if everyone's temperament and personality and thought process was exactly the same, folks, we'd be robots. We'd be robots. One of the beauties of life and the way God has created us is our individuality. Now, hear me carefully. I'm not talking about the great verities of the faith. The Bible's the word of God. Jesus is God incarnate, come in the flesh, died for our sins on the cross, was buried and rose again the third day. You know, he's coming again. Uh, there is a heaven, there is a hell. Uh, there's a real person called Satan. There's a thing called sin, a thing called righteousness. The verities of the faith are unshakable. Some of these guys that have high profile uh, ministry positions have wavered on some of these um, cardinal doctrines. Um, for example, the, the Jewish nation, the Jews are still the apple of God's eye. Even though they're disobedient as a nation, they're still the apple of God's eye. And God is going to bring them back front row center one day after he takes the church out of the world. Then it, the focus is going to be back on the Jews in Israel. Of course, that's going to be during the tribulation time. It's what it's going to require is the time of Jacob's trouble in order to redeem the whole nation unto himself. But those are God's plans, not ours. And to go for this replacement theology, 
where they say all of the promises that were made to the Jews in the Old Testament no longer apply to the Jews because they blew it and they're off. They had their opportunity and they're they're out of the picture. Now, here's the church. All those promises apply to the church, not to the Jews anymore. That's called replacement theology. That, that's not biblical. That's not right. And yet we've got some loudmouth guys that have quite a following. And they'll, uh, they would call me a heretic because I, I believe that uh, Israel, God is not done with Israel. And Israel is very much still um, part of God's ultimate plan. Well, anyhow, maybe enough about that. Uh, but to find someone that cares for the things of Jesus Christ above his own things is a rare commodity today. I'm just being honest with you because we all have that tendency to kind of, you know, put our own interests first and then someone else. Now, it's not always that way, but it's usually that way. But such was Timothy here. He had a servant's heart. And again, Paul says here, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Timothy was that rare individual that could see life through Paul's eyes and kind of feel things through his heart. And he was very naturally minded to look after the things of Christ. He was happy to put Christ's interest above his own. He said, why would someone want to do that? We'll get to that in just a minute. But um, that brings us to point number two in verse 22. A good Samaritan has a servant's training. Let's read verse 22 out loud together. But ye know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he hath served with me in the gospel. And this touches on the training that Timothy got. He, Paul said he served with me in the gospel. Timothy got firsthand training from the Apostle Paul. It's like he was an apprentice to his spiritual father. Now that system is still in effect today where the father who works in a trade, he learned it from his father. He takes his son uh, under his wing and teaches his son the trade so that when his son enters into manhood, he is fully trained and able to uh, carry on, you know, in a very proficient professional manner. He's learned a trade. And this is what the Apostle Paul did for Timothy, spiritually speaking. Boy, you know, the more I learn about that, the more I just wish it had been me. The more I just wish that I could have followed around the Apostle Paul. And yes, I'd have to follow him through days of fasting and hungering. I'd have to follow him through days of plenty and through days of nothing. But I'd, like, I'd love to follow him around so that I could learn from him. And that's what the opportunity that Timothy had here. Uh, Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. He led him to the Lord. And so father-son business almost. Timothy uh, learned like an apprentice at the feet of his spiritual father. You know, there's tremendous benefit to being trained. I just can't believe our good fortune as a church to have a full-time Bible college. I'm telling you, folks, there are very few churches that get to have a full-time Bible college. It's a full-time working, full-time model Bible college. It's got all of the necessary bells and whistles and all of the academia and everything. 
in order to deliver the goods. And it's only getting better. We're entering our seventh year now with Pacific West Baptist College. And I just can't believe how blessed we are of God to have such a marvelous instrument like the Bible College. Something that we need to be taking more advantage of, I think. God has certainly blessed our church with a magnificent opportunity, no question. And anyhow, in this verse, look at it again. Um, we're in verse 22. But, uh, uh, as, as, but ye know the proof of him. The him is Timotheus. That's who he's talking about. The proof of Timotheus, of Timothy, that as a son with a father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Now, Paul wrote later to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15, and he told Timothy, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. What happens when you go and spend time with God? Others can see you don't have to tell a soul. Others can see it in you. They see it in your eyes. They hear it in your voice. They, they can sense it in how you want to live your life. When you spend time with Jesus, it shows. And the first example we have of this is after uh, Jesus went back to heaven and uh, the, uh, the apostles were winning many souls to Christ. The Sanhedrin was all upset and they called in Peter and John and they arrested them and they, uh, they heard them speak. Peter spoke to the Sanhedrin. And they said amongst each other they, that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, that's what happens when you spend time with Jesus. And that's so important for us, folks. We, we can't survive if all we're getting is just uh, spiritual food on Sundays and maybe Wednesdays. We need spiritual food. We need that communion with Christ on Mondays and Tuesdays. Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays. And boy, Sunday's a big highlight, isn't it? Wow. Praise the Lord. But we need to spend that time with Jesus. And when we do, and we, we do that, of course, in prayer and Bible study in our, in our prayer closets, we give ourselves to these. What happens is our profiting. We've profited, and it becomes evident. If we get alone in secret with the Father, He rewards us openly. You say, why would we want that? It's so that we can be used of God, so that others can see Christ in us. And at the appropriate time, the opportune time, they'll come with their needs and say, listen, would you, would you pray for me? Or listen, I need some advice. And you don't have to ask them, well, why did you come to me? Because they've seen Jesus in you, that's why. And uh, that's what Timothy had. Timothy had it. He says in verse 22, but ye know the proof of him that as a son with a father. Very interesting. Now keep your finger there, please, in Philippians 2. Please go over to 1 Timothy and just look at chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here we have in chapter 3 the qualifications for a pastor. I believe that Timothy met these qualifications. It would have been the height of hypocrisy for Timothy not to meet these qualifications when it was expected of others, other men, to meet them. But look, please, at two verses. 
verses 6 and 7. Watch carefully as Paul writes, not a novice. Now that would mean a brand new convert. It doesn't mean that he's a brand new pastor. It means he's a brand new convert. So he's been saved three months and someone makes him a pastor. That's a mistake. He's a novice in the Christian life. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Oh, there's a lot of good study right there in those two verses. But I believe that Timothy was such a man having received a servant's training. Not only did Timothy have a servant's heart, but he also had a servant's training as well. And you need both. You need a servant's heart, but you need the training as well. That's very important. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. But this brings us back to point three. Let's go back to Philippians. Chapter 2 and verse 23. Verse 23. Let's read it out loud. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. Now, uh, many believe that uh, Paul, who was in prison at this time, was released. He managed to get out. And, of course, had his itinerant ministry and God blessed him. He ended up back in prison, though. He was no stranger to prison. Was he a criminal, an evildoer? Not at all. But understand that the Roman government back then required people to worship Caesar. That's how they helped maintain their government. You could keep your individual gods and goddesses, but you had to have the emperor Caesar in there as well. Christians wouldn't do that. They said there's one God. And there's one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. They believed that Caesar was just a man not to be worshipped. And that these goddesses and gods were just pagan idols made of stone and wood and metal, not to be worshipped. And this was what got the Christians into trouble because they were preaching Jesus Christ and him only. We're not going to burn a little pinch of incense on the fire to the emperor Caesar. Oh, but if you do that, then you'll be all right. No, we can't do that. That would be letting our Lord down. We're not going to do that. And so that's what got them into trouble. That's why Paul would end up in prison because of his preaching of Christ. And so he uh, went to heaven from prison. They took his head off one day and they couldn't crucify him because he was a Roman citizen. You weren't allowed to crucify Roman citizens unless for some extreme case like you try to bump off the emperor. Then they would crucify you. They didn't care if you were a Roman citizen or not. You got the worst. And so he had his head lopped off, which was a whole lot faster and more merciful than crucifixion. Crucifixion was the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst. It was bad. But um, point three here is that a good Samaritan also has a servant's reward. A good Samaritan has a servant's heart, has a servant's training, and has a servant's reward. And so Timothy became Paul's substitute. Timothy was allowed to step in for the Apostle Paul. The Lord Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10. 
he said these words, He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. What an honor it is to go in place of the master. What an honor it is to be able to stand and to represent the master himself. And Timothy, he went representing Paul. And this in itself was a tremendous reward. Timothy also received various other blessings as well. You say, how do you know that? Here's how I know that. Matthew 6, 33, the words of our Savior. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now that's a very, very important truth for us. If we put the things of Christ above and ahead of our things, we don't have to worry. Because our master will make sure that all these things that we were concerned about will be added to us. You say, how can I be sure? Beloved, it's done by faith. If an unsaved man or woman came to you and said, how can I go to heaven? We would tell them, well, believe on the Lord Jesus. Repent of your sins and trust Christ as your Savior. And they would say, how do I do that? And you'd say, you do it by faith. And now here that we that are saved, well, how can I be sure that I'm going to get my needs met? We do it by faith. The very same faith. If we will put the things of Christ above our things. Now listen, sometimes that's easier said than done. Because what's preventing us from putting Christ's things above ours, there's fears. Sometimes there's angers. Sometimes there's guilt. Sometimes there's the great unknown, all these question marks. And these are real things we've got to deal with. How do we deal with them? By faith. That's how we deal with them. The shield of faith. And so Timothy received all these other blessings as well. George Mueller was Christ's servant in Bristol, England, back in the 1800s. Mueller put Christ's interests above his own interests. He was a Christian man. He was a scoundrel when he was a youngster and a thief. And I think he spent time in jail and all that. He got saved. Uh, he's from Germany and he found the Savior. He got saved. And then he decided he wanted to live his life for the Lord. The Lord was calling him to full-time service. He ends up as a missionary to England. And um, he didn't immediately go to Bristol. He went to another town first. Then he felt that after a couple of years, he had done all he could, and God was calling him to Bristol. Him and another evangelist by the name of Craig. And the two of them went to Bristol. But Mueller was sold out to God. He loved Jesus, and he made a decision by faith that he was going to put the interests of Christ above his own. He wasn't going to be scrambling and clawing, trying to get his needs met. He believed that if he put Jesus' interests first, Jesus would look after him. He felt that this needed to be done by faith. He needed, he needed to help show the church at large to exercise faith. That's how the orphanage got started. He was the one who eventually built not just one, but several orphanages. He housed and fed and clothed 10,000 orphans. It grew. It started with one orphan off the street, and it grew. And it ended with 10,000 orphans. But that's not all he did. He also had a huge 
printing ministry going where he was supplying copies of the scriptures and gospel tracts and sending them out around the world. That's not all he did. He was also supporting many, many missionaries as well. That's not all he did. He had Christian schools for children and Christian schools for adults as well. That's not all he did. He was pastoring a church of 1,200 as well. To say this man was busy is an understatement. But this man learned to give his mornings to God. And then God helped him to accomplish everything that needed to be accomplished with the rest of the day. In principle, George Mueller put the things of Christ above his own things. And when he did that, he found all his life that the Lord Jesus looked after him. Instead of getting, you know, a small salary, people naturally gave to the ministries, but they also gave to him as well. And with his careful record keeping at the end of each year, he found that the gifts that were given to him were more than what he needed to survive and meet his needs. Now, he wasn't a millionaire or anything like that that we would call you know, wealthy with multiple millions, but he lived like a millionaire. He had no worries. Anything he needed, God gave to him. And God looks after. You see, that's the point here. God looks after his servants. Do you think that the Lord would let us all fall off a cliff? Do you think that God would ask us to put his interests first, and then in the meanwhile, we perish with starvation, and we go bankrupt, and we die under the burden? Not on your life. The Lord looks after his servants. And you don't have to be in full-time ministry to be his servant. Well, I think it's very, very evident. Christ honored and looked after Mueller all his life. Sometimes Christians, sometimes Christian parents think that there's no future for their children to go out and serve the Lord. They say there's no livelihood in that. There's no future in that. You can't make any money at that. You're going to die. You're going to go hungry and blah, blah, blah. Now listen, there may be truth to that when it comes to some of these full-time servants who care more about their own things than about Christ's things. And they're out there, trust me. There are pastors that put their, their own interests above Christ's interests. Sometimes they get themselves into really bad trouble. Sometimes they don't, but still, they're lacking the blessings of God. They don't know the great abundance that God is able to give when they put Christ's interests above their own. God doesn't let his servants that really serve him fall off the cliff. It doesn't work that way. Not at all. But for the full-time servant who puts the things of Christ above his or her own, Jesus amply supplies all their needs and so much more. And you know, we only go around in this life for a short bit of time. You know that. Sometimes we die in our 20s or in our 30s or our 40s, die in our 50s. Have you ever gone through a graveyard and looked at the dates? And they were born here and they died here and you're doing the math in your head. <gasps> They're not very old. Yeah. We got no guarantees, do we? Sometimes wicked people live into their 90s and hundreds. Imagine that. Drinking whiskey and smoking big cigars and things all their lives. And they live a hundred years. And they seem to die peacefully. And we say, oh, where's the justice? 
five minutes after they're dead. That's the justice right there, folks. They lift up their eyes in the pit of hell. Our shortest period of eternity is right here, right now. Let's live for the Lord. We got a message here tonight on the Good Samaritans. We can be Good Samaritans, you know that? You don't have to run out into the woods of British Columbia looking for cougars. You don't have to walk the, the docks down in New York looking, you know, for a, a child to fall off a pier. There's ample opportunity for us to be Good Samaritans. There really is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Timothy was a good Samaritan willing to serve the Lord by helping others. And God is still looking for good Samaritans. Now I'm wondering, who will be a good Samaritan for Jesus? How can we be a good Samaritan? Well, a couple suggestions. Number one, if you possibly can, give a year of your life to the Lord in Bible college. You will get a servant's training. I can promise you that. So many have just done this rocket ride, you know, in their, their growth spiritually. Zoom. It's amazing what God does in Bible college. It's amazing what God can do in your life in one year, especially when you're young. It's the best time, I think. But maybe you're not able to do that. Maybe you're locked into family and a mortgage and other things, and it's just not possible to spend a year in Bible college. All right, understood? What do, we, what do we do? You go to night courses. The Bible college offers night courses in the fall, and you'll be at every church service you can, because at every church service you learn and you grow. You get blessed. Another way you can be a good Samaritan is through tithes and faith promise offerings. By doing this, what you do is you help keep the Lord's work strong and you help make it able to grow. A third way is, of course, to become a soul winner. Come and be part of our Soul Winners Academy. That's a great opportunity to learn how to be a soul winner. Come out with us even if you just come once a month. If you, de if you determine you're going to be a soul winner and just come with us once a month, you don't even have to do the talking. You can be the silent secretary. Let let the soul winner do all the talking at the door. You just go along as the silent secretary. But you'll be part of the greatest business here in Surrey. The greatest business in Surrey is not the government of this city. The greatest business in, in Surrey has nothing to do with industry and manufacturing or tourism or anything like that. It has to do with God's business. That's the greatest business. And the greatest business of God is getting people saved. That is the greatest business. That's our great commission. The last words of our Lord Jesus given to us. To go into the world and preach the gospel and that power would come upon us and we'd be witnesses unto him. That's our marching orders. That's the greatest business in the city of Surrey. And if you get involved with that, if you connect yourself with that, you're spending a portion of your time in the greatest way you possibly can. And even if you just come once a month, we've got a calendar and uh, every Saturday, we have the names of those soul winners that come, and some are door knockers, and some are the, the silent secretaries that go along with those that knock on the door. We also have those that are part of the fire brigade, and they help put the, the gospel out with little flyers in mailboxes. And by the way, we're up to 3,400 now. Praise the Lord. This could be our best year to date. Amen. 
But if you get involved with the soul-winning ministry and just come once a month, it'll not only help sow good seed into people's lives, but you're also laying up for yourself in heaven even greater rewards. A lot of people won't lift a finger to serve the Lord, but they'll open their checkbook and they'll, you know, give some money. At least that. Praise the Lord for that. But money is the lesser of the two. The greater of the two is to get involved and to be part of the greatest business. Well, if you can't dare to be a Daniel and enter the lion's den, then dare to be a Timothy and be a good Samaritan. Let's pray together.